Welcome to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. Every podcast that comes out from Build a Bigger Life will be impactful and can change your life if and will you take action on on uh, what you're hearing. You're about to hear how someone chose life over lifestyle. Someone doing more of what they love and less of what they don't. Someone creating a life of fulfillment and purpose. No more BS or excuses. I'm going to have the life that I want to have. I love the people that have come into my life this year just out of the sheer intention of being open. Or you're just getting to know Adam. Just know this is what he bleeds. This is what he lives. His kids can preach this message. You're in the right place if you want to build a bigger life. Here's your host, Adam Carroll. On the Build a Bigger Life podcast with me today is none other than Dory Clark, and I'm super excited about this interview because Dory is an amazing person with amazing accolades. Let me read you some of these. Um, Inc. Magazine has called Dory one of the 100 great leadership speakers for your next conference. I want to get on that list. Uh, Huffington Post says Dory is 100 of the must-follow on Twitter, and Forbes Magazine has listed Dory as 25 Uh, one of the 25 professional networking experts to watch in 2015. Uh, She's been a former political spokesperson. Um, Mm -hmm. She is the author of Reinventing You and a book that is forthcoming, actually is out now, called Stand Out, How to Develop Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It, and is also a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, to Forbes Magazine, and also can be seen speaking to students and educating on the Duke University campus, where she is also an adjunct professor. Uh, Dory, in addition, is a marketing strategist and speaker and here to enlighten the Build a Bigger Life audience. Dory, welcome. Thanks so much, Adam. Great to talk with you. Yeah, you as well. Dory, what do you love about your life right now? So there's a, there's a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, as we're having this conversation, I'm actually in the midst of my book launch. So one thing I'm especially excited about is that as soon as the launch happens, I'm going to be doing a, uh, you know, actually like a, like a nationwide tour. Uh, this is not so common anymore with books. And my publisher was like, really, do you want to do this? But, uh, but what, I've, what I've discovered is that in addition to the importance of doing podcasts like this, where you're reaching lots of people simultaneously, it is pretty pretty cool and, and motivating for people to actually get a chance to meet you. And it's, it's a reason to be in touch with them, to say, hey, I'm going to be in your town. Can you come out to this event? So I'm hitting, uh, I live in New York. I'm hitting uh, Boston and Washington, San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles, uh, Dallas, uh, Milwaukee. Sadly, not yet Des Moines, but I'm working on it. Adam. Come on. You got a place. I'll, I'll hook it up with Barnes & Noble. I love it. Awesome. Very cool. So that's exciting. How long will that tour take you out on the road? It's going to be about six weeks, actually. Uh, During that time, I'm going to be back in New York probably four nights out of six weeks. So it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit intense. I'm going to have to um, make friends with, uh, you know, hotel dry cleaners or whatever. Uh, But, uh, but, but I'm excited. It's, it's the kind of push that, that I feel like you need to do. Um, there are certain liminal moments when you have the opportunity to really exert yourself and get disproportionate results. And I feel like a book launch is one of them. That's great. What, what is your end goal with the book? What would you like to do with the, the book and the platform you're creating with it? So ultimately, um, in the past couple of years, since my first book standout came out, um, I, I really didn't, didn't realize the extent to which the book would be a driver 
for uh, for speaking business. That's uh, I had been interested in, in uh, professional speaking for a long time, but it seemed really difficult to get traction. And all of a sudden, you know, when you have a book, I realized even though self-publishing is increasingly common and increasingly, you know, a perfectly respected and respectable option, having a commercially published book is really still a major credibility driver. And so a lot more business inquiries came in. So my speaking business uh, increased a lot. And so my hope for standout is uh, if I can have, you know, as uh, successful and aggressive a launch as possible, it just, it gets, it gets the book into more people's hands and it enables, it, it creates the conditions under which a uh, viral effect can potentially happen. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So this, the book is really fascinating and, and we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that. And I obviously want to cover a lot of the other cool things you've done um, and will I'm sure continue to do in your career. Um, what is the, you know, the standout um, developing a breakthrough idea and then building a following around it? I know that that was the topic of your TED talk as well. And um, I had a chance to watch that and that will be in the show notes, which was a great talk. And I love the concept um, a couple of them in particular, the sustained reflection. You talked about the need for sustained reflection to, to come up with the great idea. And then also innovation comes from the fringe, that those are not right in the middle of doing things, but those that kind of stand on the outside. Um, tell me about how the book developed and how those, uh, you know, those ideas came to be for you. So I've been interested in, in the concept for, for quite a while. Um, the way that I think of, of my books as being part of an arc is that um, ultimately Reinventing You, my first book, is aimed for people who want to make some kind of change in their professional life. It could be that they want to change jobs. It could be they want to change careers. It could be just that they want to change how other people perceive them so that their talents are more likely to be really understood and recognized. But th- there's some element of how do you rebrand yourself professionally. For Stand Out, I was trying to answer the next question down the line, which is once you have found the place where you really want to make your mark, you know, you're, you're, you're happy, you say, all right, this is it. We look around, and this is a world where there's a lot more competition. You know, every, everybody's trying to get their message out. It's noisy. Everybody's screaming. And so how do you actually do it? How do you get noticed for your ideas? How do you have an impact? And so what I ended up doing was interviewing about 50 top thought leaders in a variety of different fields to try to reverse engineer the process by which they came to be recognized so that I could try to create a roadmap that regular professionals could use to uh, turbocharge their own ideas and their own professional lives. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Of the 50, give me maybe your top three or four, your favorite interviews that you conducted. Yeah, certainly. Well, you know, I'll, I'll mention, uh, you know, listeners to your podcast, uh, you know, clearly are interested in the world of uh, business. So, I mean, some names that will be familiar to them um, would be uh, folks like Seth Godin, Daniel Pink, David Allen, uh, Robert Cialdini, who wrote uh, the, the great seminal book, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion, Tom Peters. Uh, they were all leading business thinkers that I interviewed. Uh, but above and beyond that, I interviewed uh, as well a lot of uh of professionals that you you probably have not heard of, they're they're not uh, household names, but they are really maxing it out in interesting ways. You mm. know, uh, someone who is uh, doing cutting edge work in urban planning, or someone who is uh, one of the leading genomics researchers in the world. Hmm. And how do you find these people? 
So uh, some of them, you know, the, the more famous ones are just people that, uh, you know, whose careers I've been interested in and, and have been tracking uh, for a long time because of, you know, podcasts that I've heard them on or uh, articles that I've read about them. For the regular folks, they are generally people who in some way have just come across my transom hmm. and, uh, you know, it could be through friends or, or conferences that I've attended. And so that's actually, you know, one of the things that I really try to do in my own life in terms of fueling creativity is to try to have as diverse of a social network as possible so that I, I am meeting interesting people and don't just have this homogeneous group. So, I mean, for instance, the, uh, the urban planning, uh, guy, he actually used to be an employee of mine 10 years ago. Mm. Uh, I used to run a bicycling advocacy nonprofit and this guy, you know, he was really great. He was really bright. Uh, he went off after a year, went to graduate school, and he had this really clear vision of what he wanted to accomplish. And in the succeeding decade, he has gone on to literally invent a sub-discipline of urban planning called tactical urbanism. And uh, he, he's written an, uh, a series of ebooks about the practice that have been downloaded 160,000 times. There are now conferences devoted to tactical urbanism, which is stuff that he invented. So, you know, it's oh just, just amazing. And, you know, so it's, it's people, people that I've worked with, people that, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, folks, uh, folks that I've connected with along the way, but they all have a really fascinating story. Very, very cool. And, and through the book, obviously, similar characteristics is what you're writing about, right? The, the, they all had certain similar things in common. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one, one thing that I realized in the course of, um, Understanding what makes for a breakthrough idea. Um, the good news is that it's not it's not like you know there's there's ten things and you have to do all ten things. Um, really, what what it is is it's more of a smorgasbord, and you can choose which approach um, works best for you. But there are these sort of families of options that people can draw from in terms of what makes something really memorable and really resonant with the public. Very cool. Very cool. It's it's got to be inspiring too to listen to people who are no doubt passionate about whatever idea they're trying to bring to market. I would guess. Yeah, absolutely, and and I, I think it's something that um, you know. Hopefully, we all should strive for. I mean, there, there's nothing there's nothing better than people who are just you know living it out, keeping it real, uh, doing stuff. And I, I think that sometimes, particularly when it comes to these types of things, you know, you're talking about thought leadership or you know, sort of elevated terms. Um, a lot of people just check out and they say, well, that's not for me that, you know, that's for, that's nice, but that's for other people. That's for special people. Right. And the truth is it is, it is absolutely not the case. And that's part of why I profiled a lot of less famous folks out there, because I really want to drive home the message that when we talk about, um, you know, becoming an expert in your field, this does not mean that you are somehow expected to become the world expert in whatever you do. What, what we actually are saying, however, and something that I think is pretty important, is that everyone should try to become what I call a local expert. Hmm. It could be in your town. It could be in your company. But if you want to have a secure career, whether it's as an entrepreneur that has a steady base of clients coming to you or as uh, an employee who just wants to keep your job and keep your, your boss happy, what you need to do, what everyone needs to do is to understand what makes you different and max that out. And so that in, within the, cons, the constructs of where you operate, it is totally fine to be 
the marketing expert at your company or even just, you know, within that, the SEO expert at your hmm. company or what have you. You don't need to be competing against everyone else in the world if, if the place where you want to make your mark is in your company. If you can just be clear and let people know, hey, I know about this. I can add value this way. That is a, a real profound advantage that a lot of people are not taking advantage of. Well, that's cool. It's and it's so true. The um, there was a book out not too long ago, and it was um, Free Agent Nation was the name of it. I think it was a Dan Pink book, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. Yes. Okay. And and that whole idea of people will hire will be hired based on the one particular skill set or whatever it is they bring to the to the table. Um, and I love that idea. I think it it goes to maybe validate some of the evidence that shows that in the next five years, 50% of the population will be independent contractors. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You're referencing, uh, an Intuit study, uh, yep. that, uh, that, uh, by 2020, uh, it'll be 40 or perhaps even more percent, uh, will be freelance. And, you know, that's a pretty dramatic thing to think about, but if, if that's the case, you know, we, we got to get started figuring this stuff out now. Gosh, no kidding. Everyone needs a copy of your book. Just to, just to set, you know, level set where they're about to go. So that's cool. That's right. I'm, I'm hoping it'll sell 300 million. I think that would be <laughs> excellent. I don't see why not. I don't see why not <laughs> at all. Um, so tell me your, your local expertise. I mean, you, you're, you know, you espouse this. If, if someone in New York City, uh, they think of Dory Clark, what do they think of? So one of the uh, categories, uh, you know, in, in Standout, I uh, lay out five different categories of ways that these, these thought leaders can have uh, created breakthrough ideas and, you know, that, that other people can follow. And so one of them is actually what I call creating a framework. And, you know, this it may sound a little bit arcane, but basically what I mean by this is that um, for for a lot of fields, a lot of professions, we might assume that this, the sort of fundamental structure of that profession has been totally laid out, talked about, et cetera. But oftentimes that's really not true. And so, for instance, um, influence and persuasion is something that people have always been interested in, right? I mean, you know, this is a compelling thing. How do you get people to do what you want? Humans want to know this. But it wasn't until fairly recently, within the past you know, 20 to 30 years, that Robert Cialdini, a professor at Arizona State University, actually wrote a book and said, guys, there's only six ways that you can be persuaded. That's it. And it was so helpful. As soon as people heard it, they're like, oh, right. And now whenever you talk about persuasion, you almost have to talk about that because mm -hmm. it is just so useful as an explanatory device. Huh. And so if I am you know, thinking about how, to, how am I practicing what I preach, in terms of this book, my goal actually is to try to provide a structure to thought leadership or yeah. structure to how, uh, you know, ex people build and get recognized for their expertise. That's very cool. Uh, you know, the, that whole idea of providing a framework. Um, and I think I heard that originally from a guy by the name of, um, oh gosh, he's all over my bookshelf right now. Um, He's a speaker, Brendan Burchard. Ah, yeah, You probably yeah. know Brendan or his work, at least. He he said, you know, if you create a framework for people to follow, it becomes much more memorable, which I think you're talking about with, mm. with Cialdini. Um, for sure. And, and, and you're so right. I mean, I think I, I've tried to do that around financial literacy and, 
in education and people say, well, I don't know how to teach my kids or I don't know what to learn first or do I invest in a Roth IRA or a 401k? And there are frameworks around if you consider yourself a W-2 employer, you're going to work forever. Maybe this is the framework you you apply to your you know your retire your retirement or what I call your retire mentality. Um, so I love that idea of a framework. I think that's very cool. Um, what what would you like to see out of the book? You're doing a six week tour. Uh, you know we already mentioned 300 million copies. What would you love to see? Wave a magic wand. What happens? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, one thing, and uh, and you know, we'll we'll have to see by the time this podcast comes out, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But um, it it still is is fairly significant uh, if you know if a book can achieve bestseller status, and uh, and so I've been learning a lot about how that works, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I feel I feel like I'm you know my first book, reinventing you. I didn't even really make make the effort to attain that because you know the trick is, and, and I think folks who uh, I certainly didn't know this until I got into it, but but a bestseller, this is not a cumulative total. Reinventing You has actually sold very well, um, but b- b- getting on a bestseller list is specifically about how many books you sell in a week, uh, almost always the first week, mm-hmm. and so it it requires a kind of campaign effort to mm-hmm. try to make that happen. And there's all this crazy chicanery that happens around it. Some people hire companies and literally pay them, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to, uh, you know, to guarantee quote unquote a bestseller. Yep. Uh, that's a very controversial practice, of course. And uh, so it's it's really fascinating. So I am making the effort to at least this time try to uh, to see if I can get my uh, my new book stand out to be a bestseller. And as a result of that, I've had to learn all this interesting stuff about uh, you have to strike a certain balance between pre-sales to individuals versus bulk sales. You have to strike a certain balance uh, in terms of the outlets that the book is sold through because, hmm. you know, they don't like it. If, if all the sales come through Amazon or all the sales come through Barnes & Noble, it has to be dispersed. Yeah. And rotating roster of independent bookstores. Uh, so, you know, just, just, it's a whole ecosystem unto itself. And so will you hit all of those different venues on your, on your tour, independent bookstores, uh, the Barnes and Nobles, you know, get, uh, mass quantity sales, all those kinds of things. Yeah. So I, I already have a number of, uh, bulk sales teed up, uh, for the book, you know, bulk pre-orders. So, so that's pretty good. Uh, for the, uh, for the book tour, I am primarily speaking in independent bookstores uh, in different cities, or um, the other the other sort of major venue that I have is uh, there's a startup uh, called General Assembly, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. They do mm-hmm. uh, tech training for okay. uh, for individuals, so they're they're a startup themselves, but then they they provide uh, essentially corporate executive education and also uh, you know retail quote unquote. Uh, education, continuing education for individual adults about how to get the technical skills to break into the tech industry. Hmm. And uh, so it's a very fascinating, fast-growing company. They have offices around the country. And so I'm going to be doing events with them in New York, Washington, Boston, and San Francisco. Awesome. How did you get connected with them? I got connected with them, actually. You know, it's a a good network. Um, by a guy who actually doesn't even work there anymore. Uh, he is the boyfriend of a friend of mine and, uh, he was nice enough to, uh, to help, help me connect in New York. 
And then, um, you know, when I got the event set up in New York, I'm like, you know, you have a lot of offices all around. Would you, would you be interested in kind of taking this on the road? And so he uh, made some introductions for me with his colleagues and other field offices. Further proof that it's all who you know, right? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I love the, um, and I want to shift gears a little bit because Forbes magazine named you as 25 of the, uh, one of 25 professional networking experts to watch in 2015. And, and I'm curious, what should we watch you do and what can we learn from your networking prowess? Ha <laughs> ha. Well, let's see. It's a, it's a heightened level of scrutiny here. My goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. So, so what, what should people watch me do? Well, one thing that I will mention is, um, which, which I have done, I feel like to, to fairly great success, uh, as measured by the fact that people seem to enjoy it and, uh, you know, they kind of keep coming back. But when I moved to New York about 10 months ago, I ran into a problem, uh, as a lot of people do when they first move to a place, which is that, you know, I actually knew a fair number of people in New York, but I didn't know them that well because I had lived in Boston for years before that. And uh, so a lot of these New York contacts were just people that, you know, maybe when I was down in the city, I'd meet them for coffee or something, but that was about it. Sure. Uh, the other th- problem was that, uh, you know, they didn't really know that I was in New York. I mean, like I, I, I had emailed them, but it takes a while to sort of sink into people's brains so that they actually invite you to stuff. Right. So uh, I didn't really have a very full social calendar. So I realized that I was going to have to issue a lot of invitations if I was going to kind of get it in people's heads that, you know, they should be inviting me to things. Uh, so I started up a dinner series. And so I've been doing it since the summer. And the way that, that I work it, you know, everybody has sort of their, their own... Uh, flourishes. But the way that I work it, um, once a month, it is a dinner for business authors specifically, uh, where we just all get together and hang out and have dinner and get to meet each other. And, uh, you know, pretty, pretty fun and collegial. Everybody goes Dutch at dinner. And uh, the other the other one, uh, which happens, you know, every every other week, so also once a month, uh, is just what I call an interesting people dinner. And it is a random assortment of uh, folks Sometimes I, I invite all the people. Sometimes I will have a friend and we will co-host it together. And uh, each of us will invite four or five people. And uh, we'll just sort of mix and match uh, with folks that we think are interesting and should maybe get to know each other. And those have been uh, really gratifying. That's awesome. Um, when, so when you started that, and you, you said you've been doing that for how long, Dory? I started it in the summer. So I, uh, I've been doing it now um, you know, probably between six, six and eight months. Yeah. I love the idea. A friend of mine named Shane Mack, who is, who is out of Silicon Valley. He has something called the ask dinner and it's Mm. fairly similar. They invite a certain number of people. He's made his a little bit more formal. It's kind of a black tie affair. And then Mm. he brings in someone that is the, the official question asker and each of the attendees get a little booklet and they write the answer to their questions and then share their answers with the whole group. Um, Oh, wow. So I love these ideas though. And and I'm guessing that what you're doing, it could be replicated by anyone in any city. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I hope they do. Yeah. I love that. Um, We, we had talked for length at length about doing a cool people party and having that once a month. And and it's very similar. It sounds like to what you're doing. So I may, I may just adopt some of your, your uh, processes. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So when you, when you moved to New York and you obviously have a pretty wide network, I mean, you're um, just, just given the experience that you have and where you've spoken and 
conferences you've been to, um, one of the questions I get is, how do I keep in contact with everyone? So how do you maintain the relationships you've obviously worked so hard to, to create? Yeah. So one, uh, one tool that I use, which I've slacked off a little on, uh, during my launch period, but, uh, but a, a tool that I like is, uh, is called contactually. And, uh, it is a, uh, email service that, um, that it, essentially it issues reminders to you to be in touch with certain people. Hmm. If, you know, cro- it cross references with Gmail. And so if it's been a while since you've been in touch with them, it'll be like, Hey, you need to ping Adam. And it's like, all oh, right, yes, I do. And so that's very helpful because at a certain point, it's more than your brain can actually handle. Um, so I actually, on my website, doryclark.com, I have a, uh, a resources uh, page and uh, it lists, uh, it, you know, lists uh, a bunch of productivity tools that I yep. have. It's like my 10 favorite productivity tools. And so if uh, folks listening are interested, they can go uh, to that and uh, they can get a link to Contactually and a bunch of other uh, tools that I use as well. Very cool. Is that a Gmail plugin or how does that work? It's its, its own uh, website and it also has its own app so you can access it in a mobile uh, feature. But it's, uh, it's a, just kind of... Uh, you know, software that, uh, that you can use. Yeah. All right. That's cool. I'm going to check that out. Um, contactually. Um, so tell me a little bit about, I, now we're going to go back in history a little bit. Cause I, in, in the digging, uh, that I did on you and finding some of your bio information at the, the ripe age of 14, you entered Mary Baldwin college's program for the exceptionally gifted. And um, by 18, had graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Smith College. What was that like going through school at that young age? You know, for for me, it was great. Um, some some people who entered the program uh, when I did, you know, it, it turned out like college was not a good fit for them at that age. And, uh, you know, some people like left. I had this roommate that I actually totally hated my freshman year. <laughs> she was this obnoxious girl that had all of these ticking clocks that would tick at different intervals. It like drove me insane. Uh, but she, fortunately, uh, she left after, uh, after Thanksgiving break and went back to high school, which I actually thought was fairly humiliating. Uh, so I was like, yeah, you go ticking clock girl. You, you, you just, you know, bye. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but for me, it was fantastic. I mean, I was, I was really into the classes. I was really into, uh, the learning and, you know, I just, I had no desire to, uh, you know, to be wild and drink or party or whatever. I mean, I still don't, you know, my, uh, you know, my friends, uh, kind of make fun of me because I've never been drunk, uh, and I've never wanted to. So, you know, I, I wasn't into it when I was 14. I wasn't into it when I was 18. I wasn't into it when I was, you know, 21 or now, you know, 36. So it's pretty, just pretty similar. And the opportunity to, uh, to go to college early was great for me. Yeah. Well, your, your clarity of thought shines through that. You know, the fact that you haven't <laughs> had, haven't been in that state is, is pretty apparent given your talks and writing and everything else. So <laughs> congratulations on all that. Ah, thank you. Yeah, I know. I got I got to preserve every brain cell I have. Jeez. <laughs> so let me ask you. You know, at eighteen, then you went on to uh, get your master's of theological studies from Harvard Divinity School. Did you find that there was that like there was a pressure to perform when you were there? 
Uh, so you actually, Adam, got cut off just for, for a minute there. So I, I got the end of the question of uh, Harvard Divinity, but was there a pressure to perform? Was there a pr- uh, just a pressure to perform at the school, given you know where you were mm-hmm. and the prestige of the school and all of that? So, uh, and sorry, it's getting choppy all of a sudden. I don't know if I should turn off the video or. Uh, can you hear me clearly now? Yeah, this is, this is good. Okay. Yeah. Let's sorry. Try no, that. that's it's fine. Just... That's fine. Let's try it again. You, so just at, right. at Harvard Divinity School, did you find there was this pressure to perform there? Uh, so, you know, academically, not really. Uh, I mean, Harvard Divinity School was, was a reasonably rigorous place, but you know, shh. Uh, it's a lot less rigorous than like, you know, undergrad or the business school or whatever. I mean, uh, those can be fairly cutthroat and the divinity school was really not cutthroat. Uh, people, you know, of course, you know, you were expected to perform well, uh, but it was, it was not in the least competitive. I mean, people, um, that that would kind of look bad if somebody who was an aspiring minister was like what did you get on the test i got a (laughs) hundred so uh, so it was it was pretty chill actually uh and you know what was what was great you could uh you could cross register for classes at different schools of harvard um and uh so i I took uh classes at the kennedy school i I took a a cross-registered class with the business school uh so it was actually a lovely uh intellectual environment very cool it's such a it's such a great area. I mean that the, the campus, everything around it is such, such a beautiful. There's like a I don't know. A, um, I want to say pomp and circumstance or something about it, but there's like a just history about being there. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was it was very special. I mean, when I was there, um, you know, I mean, of course, the greatest speakers would be there. Um, my uh, first year there, Nelson Mandela came to speak. And, you know, there was like a huge assembly and it's like, all right, well, where else are you going to get to see Nelson Mandela speak? Gosh, no kidding. Oh, that is cool. Um, well, hey, I'm going to see uh, the, the Donald speak tomorrow. So, hey! you know, I suppose you could ask the same question. How many times? Actually, yeah, you could pretty, see him. pretty much similar to Mandela. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Dory, rapid fire question time. Number of articles you've written in your lifetime. Ballpark best guess number of articles you've written. Um, five hundred. Five hundred articles. Okay, good. Uh, the number of dinner parties you've been invited to—not you've invited other people to, but that you've been invited to. Oh yeah, how well has my strategy worked? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know. Like. One or two. It hasn't worked that well, <laughs> but people love coming to mine. So, uh, so I have to keep working the plan. That's all right. It's it's well on its way. Number of times you've been on television. Um, um, I was on TV on Sunday. Actually, I was just on MSNBC uh, in the past. Uh, you know, couple years. I don't know. Uh, somewhere like eight or ten, something like that. Okay, very good. And this one is gonna. This is gonna be, you know, from the wayback machine here. But the number of times when you were working uh, as a presidential spokesperson for Howard Dean, the number of times you heard him swear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Um, 
my gosh, you know, I don't, I don't even remember, actually. I don't even remember if he did swear. It was like 10 years ago. So he's, you know, he's a pretty intense, blustery guy. But yeah. whether he actually swore or not, I actually have no recollection. I know I swear a lot, but I don't know about him. <laughs> <laughs> I would take him just from seeing how, how fired up he got, that he would be a guy who could probably let one fly if he really, you know, if he really got fired up. Um, all right, advice time. Someone wants to find their breakthrough idea, develop a breakthrough idea, and uh, build a following around it. What's what advice do you give to them? Yeah, so so it's a uh, it's it's a, a tall order to pick one piece uh, of advice because uh, because that's what that's what the entirety of standout is really is uh, is how to how to do that uh, in all of its glorious facets. But if I was going to come up with uh, with one thing. I would say that actually um, a strategy that worked for me is uh, to use c- content creation as a way of placing small bets. And so what I mean by that is that actually uh, how I came to write my first book, Stand Out, or, or sorry, my first book, Reinventing You, uh, was that I um, had started blogging for the Harvard Business Review. And, you know, I was just, I was writing all kinds of different blog posts, you know, like whatever idea popped into my head. I didn't really have a grand strategy about it. Uh, but I wrote a blog post called How to Reinvent Your Personal Brand. And that actually became this really popular post. And it was popular enough they invited me to turn it into a magazine piece for the Harvard Business Review. Hmm. And that ultimately led me um, to, I, I got good feedback about that. And that enabled me to write a proposal and then sell the book to Harvard Business Review Press. Um, but, I, if left to my own devices, you know, I am not clever enough to have known that that would be the topic that would have broken through. Uh, it was, it was just one of many bets, but in creating a lot of content, uh, it enables you to see what actually does resonate. I love that. It really is. It boils down to almost like experimenting, right? I mean, one, yeah, that's right. It's one great big experiment, everything you do. And, um, I've been telling students that for years now that, those who say, well, I'm going to school to be a finance major. And then they think that they're going to have a career in finance. And it's like, well, you're going to experiment. You may hate finance and you won't know until you go out there and do that. So I love that using content creation to place small bets. And do you, would you say the best way to do that is by writing, you know, writing blog posts or suggesting articles for, for magazines and that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as long as you're writing things or, you know, using some other form of content creation, whether it's podcasts or, you know, videos or what have you, as long as it's all within, you know, a sort of general realm, um, then it's not really off topic. I mean, if you were if you were doing one day, it's business and the next day, it's dogs and the next day, it's, you know, Iranian politics, then all right, that might be a little scattershot. But if you're if you say, okay, business, finance, whatever, and you experiment within that, then you're able pretty well to build your brand in a general incremental direction yep. while still seeing what it is your audience likes and wants more of from you. Uh, good, good. I love that. Um, how about uh, top three books? What do you recommend? Yeah, so so overall, top three books. Um, I will say that one one that I like to uh, cite, which I feel like is is underappreciated in the business canon, but w- which I found tremendously helpful, is uh, Power: Why Some People Have It and Others Don't by Jeffrey Pfeffer. Um, that is, I think, a fantastic book. Uh, another, you know, great classic, uh, probably the best book ever written about networking is Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. Uh, love to recommend that to people. 
And uh, if if we are leaving aside my my own tomes, uh, reinventing you and stand out, I will give the uh, the final nod uh, of something that I that I really love. Uh, a book that I had alluded to earlier, Robert Cialdini, Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. Cool. Um, and and I'm, I'm of the mindset, and I think I got this from maybe Jack Canfield or someone when I went through one of his trainings last year, that um, a lot of people will read lots and lots of books looking for the magic bullet. And in reality, there's probably a few that are so good that you need to read them again and again year after year. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's and and I was having one of the other interviews that I did with a guy named Chad Carden. Uh, we were talking about the classics and that the classics of the richest man in Babylon and Think and Grow Rich and you know anything by Og Mandino. You know those were all such classic books that they kind of stand on their own today. I would say Influence yeah. is probably one of those, and um, and Never Eat Alone is another book that I uh, will tell other people to to read as well. And I think you interviewed. Keith Ferrazzi, did you not? Uh, so I did actually. Uh, Keith is not in this book, uh, but he has been blur. He he endorsed uh, the book uh, standout. Uh, but but I did interview Keith for my Forbes blog, and in fact, I actually have an ebook that is coming out uh, in June for your listeners that might be interested. It is uh, it's called Standout Networking, and uh, it's this short ebook. Uh, that, that will be out, and uh, that features some of Keith Ferrazzi's uh, insights in that. Very cool. Available on your website? Uh, it'll be available on Amazon. On Amazon. Cool. Um, so one last question, and this kind of pertains to the, the topic of the podcast in general. We talk about building a bigger life, and it means different things to different people. What does it mean to you, Dory? So building a bigger life, I think, is really, uh, it becomes a question of, fulfilling your potential. You know, what's, uh, if, if it's bigger, it's about moving more and more toward your goals and what you feel called to do. And, uh, obviously that's going to be different for, for every person, but, uh, it's about getting, getting closer to the thing that you feel like you were meant to do or the thing that you feel like you really can accomplish. Cool. Thank you for answering that. I'm compiling all these answers and then that will sort of, you know, be the formulation of all the talks that I do down the road, but I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's about fulfilling what you were called to do. And it sounds like you are doing exactly that on a daily basis. Uh, so congratulations and keep at it. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Where, uh, where can people get more of you if they want you? Appreciate it, Adam. The, the place that, that people should go if they're looking for more information uh, is my website, doryclark.com. That's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. And, uh, and one uh, particular thing that I'll mention for folks that are interested in this concept of how to uh, develop their own breakthrough ideas and build a following around it is that I actually created a free workbook. Uh, it's a 42-page workbook that is an adaptation from Stand Out. Uh, and uh, it's, it's called 139 Questions to Help You Find Your Breakthrough Idea. And it is uh, available as a free download on my website. I downloaded it today. I intend to print it out tonight and go through all questions. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Thanks for putting that out. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted what I find out. Love it. <laughs> uh, well, Dory, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm, I'm super excited for your book launch. Um, when you do decide to make it through Des Moines, please call me and we'll have a place for you to stay and a warm meal, you know, while you're on the road. 
And I love it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And, and best of luck uh, moving forward. I'll, um, I will make sure that all of our listeners have all your details in the show notes and we will do our best to put your book at the top of the list. Cool. Adam, thanks so much. It's great talking with you. You as well. Thanks for listening to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. If you liked what you heard on the podcast today, help spread the message of a bigger life by leaving a review and subscribing on iTunes. Our show today was sponsored by ShredMyMortgage.com, the fastest debt elimination tool on the planet. Check out ShredMyMortgage.com for a free analysis. Follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Carroll. Download a copy of the Build a Bigger Life blueprint at buildabiggerlife.com and check out Adam's TEDx talk on YouTube. Until next week, may you build a bigger life.